You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh all week long. Those balls have gotten you into trouble, though. Oh, you? Yeah. They picked us because we're horny. Yeah. Right. And that's your chronic state. 24-7. <laughs> My life has changed so much that it's almost like a completely different life. From the latest news on The Real Housewives. I'm so happy to be here and engage with you. Deep dives into celebrity legal scandals and unfiltered convos with your favorite stars. I've got you covered. And yes, I always keep receipts. Welcome on in, guys. Welcome on in. Let's get it, get it, get it. Ow, ow. Throw them hips, girl. Bum, 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 bum. What's going on, everybody? Happy hump day. Happy Wednesday. Hopefully your week is off to a great start. Hopefully you are fully recovered from the holidays. I know it's always like an interesting vibe to get back into the groove of things, but I have a jam-packed episode of Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter today. We have a lot, a lot, a lot happening. Gonna be breaking down the Diana Jenkins donation because Jay Edelson is making some wild claims that she did not, in fact, donate her money. And she's like, hold up, wait a minute, clap back. And then we have Erica Jane and the earrings. Everyone's like, why are the earrings so, why have they been undervalued? How did they sell for $750,000? And then Erica said that they were worth what? $1.3, $1.4 million. And then now all of a sudden they're being auctioned off for 300. And a lot of people, there was a lot of speculation. Ronald Richards fueled a lot of that speculation. So now I'm here to clarify it because I actually reached out to the auctioneer and I was like, can you explain your pricing to me, please? And then at the end of today's episode, I have an interview with Andrew Gray. You may remember him from Bling Empire. You may remember him as the Red Power Rangers in as the Red Power Ranger in Power Rangers Megaforce. He's an actor. He's a model. Most recently, a reality star. So we get into that. We talk a lot about Bling. We talk a lot about reality TV. We talk a lot about a lot of stuff. We even talk about like the Balenciaga campaign and Kim Kardashian and all of that sort of stuff. So it's a good episode. A lot to, I mean, there's a lot jam-packed in today's episode just for you because I love you. And I was like, you know what? If you're not stuffed, if now that you've you've decompressed and you're no longer fully stuffed from Thanksgiving, then now I hope you can be less stuffed with food and more stuffed with content. This probably means there might be a little break in content. I have a good, I have an exciting housewife that's going to be on the podcast next week. I'm not going to tell you who. Um, other than the only thing I'm, I will say is that you're probably going to be a little pressed over it. I don't know if you're going to love that this this housewife is coming on the podcast. Um, but I'm hoping it may enlighten some of you a bit. It may like cause you to shift your your perspective on her a little bit. So stay tuned for that. That's next week. But all right, are we ready to dive into everything? Because like I said, there's there's a lot for us to break down. So. Did Diana Jenkins lie about donating to the Lion Air plane crash families that were formerly represented by Girardi Keese? Well, attorney Jay Edelson is calling her out and people are like, ooh, we knew Diana Jenkins was a liar. We knew she was a liar with her tongue and she slithers out her little tongue and she's like a snake, right? Well, 
In a new interview on Emily D. Baker's YouTube channel, you know we love Emily, Emily D. Baker, shout out to Emily, love Emily D. Baker. If you're not subscribed, you should probably go and subscribe to her YouTube channel right now. So on her YouTube channel, she conducted a great interview with Jay Edelson, and Jay Edelson is making a shocking claim that the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star did not actually donate the $100,000 that she claimed she was giving to help the families of the Lion Air plane crash, okay? I found that kind of funny because on her campaign page, you can clearly see that the donation was in fact made in Diana's name for the amount of $100,000. I remember seeing this when the money was originally pledged. I remember seeing it when the money then appeared to be donated. She opened up the fund, allowed other people to donate. I believe it's a little over $102,000 that have been donated. At this point, she gave 100 grand and then other people gave smaller donations. And I think it's currently at 102 or a little over 102. But anyway, now people keep saying she donated the money to her charity. Also not true. Also false because the money was collected through JVG, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization here in California to which Diana has no affiliation with other than like as a campaign host or a donor, but she's not on their board of directors. She has no financial interest in JVG. They're literally an independent third party involved in this, and they're the ones that are collecting the donations. She does have her own Sunella Foundation or Sunella Foundation, I guess. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. The logo is kind of like a sun, so I would assume since her name is Sunella, Sunella would be, you know, that's the little tweak or play on, on her name. But anyway... That is her foundation, which I know she was using to bring awareness to this charity fund, but I that's not where the donations are actually being collected. So it's not like the money is sitting in any of her bank accounts currently. So it currently sits with JVNG, okay? Now, why haven't Jay Edelson's clients received their money then? Well, as a reminder, the fund is not for or it's not just for Girardi Key's clients. The fund is open to all families in need that were impacted by the Lion Air plane crash in Indonesia. So anybody that was related to somebody on that in that plane crash that is in need of financial assistance, that's what this fund is specifically set up for. So I believe Jay Edelson's clients might be entitled to, to might be entitled to some of that money. Other people, other families in Indonesia the other orphans and widows, because we know that Jordi Keys and Jay Edelson or Edelson PC only represented a small fraction of the families impacted by the plane crash, not all of them. So recently, uh, what's today, Wednesday? So uh, earlier this week, Diana issued a statement claiming that she's working with JVNG now to disperse the funds to make sure those families can actually receive help. She also clarified that the fund is still open and will remain open until the end of the year. So anyone that that wants to donate, Garcelle, Sutton, just in case you're wondering, if you would like to donate, you can still make a donation today. So that's why the donation has not actually been, the money hasn't been cut yet or hasn't been sent out yet. When the donations close, the money can then be dispersed. I would imagine there would also need to be some sort of rules and regulations set. I would imagine that there would need to be some sort of application process with guidelines to one, prove that you are a relative of someone that was involved in the plane crash and two, are in need of financial assistance. And then we also have to like determine, well, how close is, is a close relative to somebody on the plane crash? Could it 
be a, you know, I have a lot of family members. Could any, if I happen to pass away in a plane crash, could any one of my 50 cousins just be like, hey, I was related to Zach. I'm entitled to money. So all of those guidelines will kind of need to be refined and, you know, those qualifications will need to be made clear. I would also assume that the fund would need to be split up into grants with specific dollar amounts that are outlined for people that qualify. That way it's evenly set across the board because I know that was another thing that Jay Edelson kind of, um, I mean, again, I don't know what his experience is with the nonprofit world. I just know that's where my background is. And I remember when we had a grant program with one of the foundations I used to work with, we had a very clear dollar amount. Uh, it was $2,500 that the grant was worth. And that was to ensure that everybody that applied was entitled to the same equal amount of money, right? It's not a lottery win. It's not a, you know, 50-50 raffle. It's so we have to make the, the playing field even for all that are applying. Or you have to set up different tiers and, and there are different qualifications for each of those different tiers, but we need to make sure that it's equal, you know, and everybody's entitled to the same amount of money. So it takes time to set these kinds of things up. So listen, I would imagine that it's going to take a minute for them to get all of their ducks in a row. But I would also imagine Diana Jenkins didn't just throw away $100,000 that seemingly goes nowhere. Um, I mean, she seems to be a fairly philanthropic woman. So I for it to be some big elaborate PR stunt where she would just throw away a hundred K and have zero remorse for that. I just, I find that a bit strange and I don't think that that's the case. I think she genuinely wants to, she's genuinely trying to help. Now, Jay Edelson, if you'll remember, he was former co-counsel with Girardi Keys on the Lion Air case, which he represented some of the families. He claimed that his clients were entitled to $2 million that Girardi Keys never paid out. A judge in Illinois agreed that Girardi Keys did need to end up paying that money, and this is the case that ended up blowing up the whole scandal. Jay Edelson's the one that accused Erica of having a sham divorce once he found out that she was suing and leaving, or sorry, not suing, um, she was leaving Tom Girardi. So Jay is now suing all of Girardi Keys' officers, as well as lender James DiNardo and Tom's estranged wife, Erica Girardi, in his new $50 million lawsuit. So his clients are entitled to $2 million. So that would mean the rest of that $50 million would be like restitution, attorney's fees, et cetera, et cetera. He did note that any settlement money that does come in, he would be uh, he's planning to split that money with the clients. So it would be the firm and the clients. He has paid them out directly. He used, it, I believe, his firm's insurance fund to make sure that those clients at least got their $2 million, So that way they're not out of any money that they were owed. He's now just fighting for that $2 million back since he had to pull it out of his own firm's account. He's now fighting for that money back and then some. And again, that's going to be restitution. That's going to be, I've broken it down deeper in the Lion Air video that I did on the YouTube channel. But long story short, he's, you know, he's, he's trying to make sure they get some additional money and also, you know, trying to get money for his firm as well. And I don't think it, that's a terrible thing everybody's out for everyone's out for themselves and listen I think he's worked very hard and he's entitled to something right so you know the families have been paid Jay's now assuming all risk in suing Girardi Keese and company moving forward I've been very clear I don't think Erica Girardi belongs in that lawsuit I don't think that that is something I think the other people Lyra Griffin Camon Donardo sure let's go after all the guys that worked there and were part of this whole 
scheme, this whole telemark, not sorry, cute and confusing Genja, um, this whole embezzlement Ponzi scheme, Erica, I don't think needs to be dragged into the lawsuit. Um, but that's my own personal side opinion. Anyway, so I I want to clarify too, though, that I believe that both Jay and Diana are really just trying to do the right thing by these families. Are they going to make every perfect step? No, I don't think either of them is lying. I don't think Jay was lying when he said that his clients haven't seen the money because the money hasn't been dispersed yet. You know, the the fund is still open for donations until the end of December. Do I think Diana was lying and saying that she, you know, and accusing her of not donating the money? No, I don't think she was lying either because the money has been donated and you can see it on the JVNG website. The money has been donated and it is listed there. So I don't think either of them are lying. I don't understand why the two of them would find themselves as adversaries in any of this. But if you are interested in learning more about the Girardi stuff or just all of the legal cases, the Jen Shaw stuff, the Chrisley stuff, um, I'd suggest checking out our deep dive archive. We have a whole playlist on YouTube, youtube.com slash justplainzack for a deep dive analysis into all of the Girardi keys embezzlement Ponzi scheme scandal. I also think I'm probably going to do maybe a new deep dive into the Gorga lawsuits lately. Cause I feel like that Joe Gorga and Melissa Gorga, they've been um, some lawsuits have popped up about them. that Some people asked me to look into maybe as the new season of Jersey comes begins, we'll, we'll dive into that as well. But okay, let's move on to Erica and the damn earrings. Okay. My goodness. I just have to say, I love when I'm right. And boy, am I right once again. And I love it. So we were all wondering how Erica's earrings went from that $1.3, $1.4 million estimate to now being listed at only $250,000. So let me explain because I did my due diligence and I got some concrete answers for you because I love you and I like to fact check, right? So last week, attorney Ronald Richards on his self-verified Twitter account posted a tweet that he later promoted, aka paid to feature, about Erica Jane's earrings, right? Ronald Richards, we also know, was originally hired by the bankruptcy trustee as special counsel to dig into Erica. It appears that there wasn't much that came from that investigation because there was no real further action taken um, against Erica since his departure from the bankruptcy trustee, he seemingly was let go. Anyway, he claims that she turned over a different pair of earrings, leading people to assume that it was the wrong earrings, that she was trying to pull a fast one on the trustee. First of all, the trustee's not that stupid. Um, basically alluding to, or people were able to draw this conclusion that Erica turned in a pair of earrings that was worth much less than the pair of earrings Tom actually gave her, right? And Ron, Richard, uh, Ron Richards very vaguely showed documents of the original GIA reports from the original pair of earrings from 2004 and then compared them with the more recent 2022 GIA report of the earrings that were turned over by Erica more recently. Um, he pointed out the discrepancies and the dimensions of the earrings and then coupled that with the current auction listing price of the earrings, which is set at $250,000 to $350,000. So the original set from 2004, however, was stolen 
in a home invasion in 2006. Now, I know other people have theories that maybe that was insurance fraud. As far as I'm aware and as far as Tom Girardi and Erica Girardi have admitted themselves, there was no insurance on the earrings. I do find that a bit strange. So it wasn't, and that's why he had to purchase a replacement pair of earrings. And that replacement pair was purchased in 2007 which was the year after the home invasion in 2006. So we purchased a second pair of earrings that are almost identical, almost exact replicas, but definitely not exact, right? It's a replica pair, so they're not going to be exact. The original pair from 2004, he paid $800,000. Then in 2007, he wrote another check to the same jeweler for a similar pair, a replica pair, for $750,000, right? That money, we later found out, was pulled from a client trust account, which is why Erica had to now turn those earrings over because Tom Girardi was never authorized to use that $750,000 to buy earrings. That was his client's money, and it was in their trust account, and that money should have never been signed out of the trust account and should have never gone to pay for any earrings that belong to anybody other than those clients, right, with their permission, with their written consent and permission. So Erica on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills said the earrings are now valued at, I believe it was $1.3 million. However, the auction house John Moran is currently in possession of the earrings, and they've listed the earrings for people to begin bidding at $250,000, which further fueled Ronald Richards' vague very vague and speculative theory that Erica turned over a different pair of earrings. So indeed she did turn over a different pair of earrings because it was the replacement pair of earrings from 2007 and not the original pair that was stolen in 2006, right? Original pair, replacement pair, $800,000, $750,000, two completely different pairs of earrings. Replicas, you know, a replica pair of earrings. But yeah, technically, when you measure the GIA reports and you look at the dimensions, they're going to be slightly different, right? I highly doubt Erica just happened to have, you know, a slightly different pair of, of diamond earrings that are a diamond princess cut and very similar to the original ones from 2004 that she just had, what, two two different pairs of earrings hanging around and she's secretly holding on to the original pair somewhere. Like that theory even sounds a little, you know, conspiracy theory. Anyway, I reached out to John Moran, the auction house, and I asked them to clarify the auction listing price. Remember, an auction list... Um, an auction, they list an item at a starting price, not a final price. So this is what we're starting at. So people will come in and they'll bid and the bids will go up and up and up and up and up. And then eventually we'll have a, file, uh, a final sale price, right? So a rep from John Moran kindly got back to me with the GIA reports, with a press release and with some photos of the actual earrings. It's interesting. They're, it's a very pretty, you know, diamond princess cut. It even has Girardi engraved into both of the earrings, which is interesting. So whoever does end up getting them, I'm curious if they will keep the Girardi, you know, uh, in, engraved in there. Or maybe they'll have that removed. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I wouldn't want somebody else's earrings, especially when it has like their name on it. It's kind of weird. I don't know. Whatever. I guess it's, you know, it's, it's the hipster thrift shopping, right? But just like high class. So anyway. The rep explained to me, she explained that the $250,000 to $350,000 estimate is the market value of the earrings, which is what they use in an auction. 
Okay, which is what I guessed when I originally reported on this earlier this week. Remember, market value, which is at cost pricing, market value is very different from retail value. It's a very different um, price tag from retail pricing. Market value is just the value of the diamond itself, the value of the earring itself. Retail pricing totally different ballpark, right? The earrings were always worth much less at market value because there's always going to be a markup when you list something at retail value. It's exactly what I, this was the theory I came up with earlier in the week. And some people were like, that's not true. They're going to go for the highest retail value. And I'm like, okay, Barbara, calm down. Let me actually fact check this for you. Cause you know, I don't want you to have an aneurysm. So anyway, the $750,000 original price tag that Tom Girardi paid, I asked them about that, and this is their direct statement to me. They said that number has no real bearing on the value of the earrings because retail value can be anything a store wants to charge. It's common for retailers to add about a 50% markup of the market price which is exactly what I concluded when I spoke to the jeweler here in LA the other day, and he explained all of this to me then. But then there were the skeptics. Listen, people said that they would never list a pair of diamonds that were not at full retail price. But here we go, guys. I confirmed it with the auctioneer um, themselves, the the auctioneers themselves, and confirmed it with the people that are currently in possession of the earrings. And like, it does make sense because it's like retail value could mean anything. And I tried to say like a retailer here in downtown LA versus, you know, Cartier or versus Tiffany's or whatever jeweler, pick a jeweler, right? Wherever, even, you know, fucking Walmart. If you want to pick Walmart and consider them a jeweler, wherever the earrings are, it's going to be a different price tag, right? It's like steak, you know, Steak at a restaurant. I'm pretty sure a lot of people get steak from the same, whatever. Example, a steak at, you know, a high-end steakhouse versus a steak at a lower-end steakhouse. Let's just say like IHOP or something. I don't even know if IHOP has real fake meat. The whole point is a steak is going to cost differently depending on the restaurant you go to, right? Because the retailer, the restaurant, is then the one that gets to set that price. So the earrings are not worth 1.3 million. The earrings are not worth 1.4 million. The earrings are not even worth $750,000, which is what Tom paid. The earrings are worth a quarter of a million dollars. And this is all according to the auction house, John Moran, and their gemologist, Molly Burns Keith. Okay, period, dot. So please tell Ronald Richards to stop fanning the flames of speculation and vague insinuation because if I could figure all of this out and I'm not an attorney, nor am I a gemologist, I'm just somebody that knows how to write an email and pick up a phone and say, hey, gemologist, can I talk to you and ask you a couple of questions? Hey, auctioneer house, can I talk to you and ask you a couple of questions? Oh, yes, that actually makes sense. Thank you so much. Thank you for verifying that for me. It's not that fucking hard. (laughs) Sorry, I just, you know, I get a little irked sometimes because I get, you know, I get dragged when I happen to actually fact check my my stuff, you guys. And when I'm not fact checking stuff, I'm very clear. This is my own theory. This is my own opinion. This is my own speculation. There you go. Answer. You asked a question. I gave you an answer. So for more deep dives into the Girardis, I recommend checking out our deep dive archive on YouTube, youtube.com slash JustPlainZach. There are also other deep dives into the Chrisleys and their recent arrest, um, or I guess recent 
sentencing and their whole, you know, a bank fraud, tax evasion scandal. There's also the Jen Shaw stuff. She has her court case coming up, her sentencing coming up in January, January 6th. So stay tuned. I will continue to cover more. All right, guys, I hope you are ready for a little change in pace now. Because today, I have a very special interview with Andrew Gray, who you may recognize from Netflix's Bling Empire, or maybe you know him as the Red Megaforce Ranger in Power Rangers Megaforce. He's the Red Power Ranger, and he's really hot. Um, Maybe you even know him from one of his very hot and very special modeling campaigns. Well, anyway, he's here. And we have one great combo. We talk all about Netflix's Bling Empire, why he left the show, why he returned to the show, if it's coming back for another season. We also talk about how toxic reality TV can be and this insane Balenciaga scandal and just like life, live in life. And we have a really good conversation. It's, you know, it's an eye-opening combo. Maybe you'll find some nuggets of wisdom in it for yourself, or maybe you'll just enjoy some of the tea that gets spilled, but I hope you enjoy it. So enjoy. Please welcome Mr. Andrew Gray. Hello. Thank you. you Thank you. That was a beautiful intro. How are you? I'm doing spectacular. Another day above ground and God be the glory to it all. I'm really, really happy. How about you? I'm doing well. Just celebrated Thanksgiving with my family. Had a great weekend. A lot to be grateful for. I know there's a lot going on in the world right now, but I'm just like, okay, tune all of the outside noise out. Tune in. Focus on the the things that I'm grateful for and the things that are going good in my life right now. And just go into the holiday season with a really good, positive mindset. Attitude's everything. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did have a good Thanksgiving. It was one of the first times that I was actually around my whole family at once. I was missing my my grandmother. Uh, She was definitely there in spirit. Uh, She's getting older and can't fly. And it was kind of sad not to have her there because you always want to have Graham there, you know, and to hear the stories of when she grew up and what her Thanksgivings were like. And there's always a new memory that pops up. And I just uh, actively listen. I, I, I love my elders. But overall, Thanksgiving was a true blessing. What did she think of your decision to pursue a career in entertainment? Because I, I feel uh, she like some, sometimes family members are like, oh, I don't know if I want you to, to go into entertainment. You know, it can very much go south or very hard to build a career in entertainment. You know, was she was there a little apprehension from your family? There is more of not. How do I say this? I didn't go into the entertainment field. I didn't know it was a business Mm. um, when I first got into it. And what I mean that is when I was a child, I just loved to recite poetry. I loved going to the theater. Mm. I loved, uh, my grandmother got me season tickets to the theater and that's something that we did. Uh, And so I didn't understand that it was entertainment. I always saw it as a craft. Mm. Art. As, As an art, as an art form, exactly. And then when I came to Los Angeles, uh, the doors blew me back, (laughs) you know, and then I, then I learned that this is a business and you need to know the business almost as much or even more than you need to know your art so that you don't, you know, get taken advantage of a lot of other things. How do you feel like your career has gone so far? I mean, you've done modeling. 
Some of the, the campaigns I've seen are pretty spicy. And I was like, oh, I need to hang that one on my wall. You've done acting as, you know, successfully as the Red Power Ranger. Um, definitely got some some good moves. You've done reality TV. I mean, you've kind of had quite, you know, you, you've checked all the boxes. What has been, you know, your favorite so far? What do you think has brought you the most joy? And what do you think you've learned the most from? My, my biggest success is not staying in one box and not being held in a box. My management and agents from the beginning were like, you're going to be the romantic, the hunk, the guy that the people that makes men jealous and women <laughs> want to throw themselves at you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, then this is our last day at work together. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean? That could bring you the global stage, you know, there's things that people find valuable in this world and knowledge and beauty around the same area. Yeah. That's where I'm going to, you know, always do work. That's going to be putting God first. And for me, uh, vanity is not where I'd like to be. So I'm just happy that when I was modeling and I still do, if it makes sense, it has to make sense. Yeah. And also putting strong boundaries down. So I'm very proud of that, you know, to navigate the industry for over a decade and started working with top tier brands. And I still work with top tier brands today uh, by putting my boundaries down, knowing my value. And if they say this is our budget, well, that makes sense for your business. It doesn't make sense for my business, but this is the number I'm looking for. And when you're, you have it, Let's talk. Yeah. Which would drive my, and I'm saying this, you know, at 19, 20 years old, my agents are like, <laughs> are you kidding me right now? Someone would kill themselves from that. I'm like, well, then we need to pray for that person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not that serious, guys. There's a billion and five ways to make money, but I want to sleep at night, my have a clean conscience, you know, and have boundaries and be respected. If you're not respected yeah. in any industry, you're going to be walked all over. Yeah. I'm yeah. curious what your thoughts are on the whole Balenciaga controversy, because I feel like Kim Kardashian is one of their biggest ambassadors right now, and she's come under fire. Obviously, there was a campaign that they ran with a child in it, and then there was a teddy bear that was also in the campaign that was dressed in bondage, and some people felt that it was sexualizing children, and it was inappropriate. Kim Kardashian didn't speak out until more recently, um, and she's like, hey, I took a break because I needed to actually talk to the brand and figure out like what this was, how this happened. They said that they're working on this. Balenciaga's issued a apology and they're, you know, working on it. I'm curious what your thoughts are about, you know, kind of her hesitancy to speak out right away and whether or not you like how you would respond working with a brand in a similar position. Like would you immediately pull out or like what do you think would do you think it was smart for her to kind of take a beat and, and process things and chat with them first? To my knowledge, Kim said she had to reevaluate it. I don't think as any parent, you need to reevaluate anything. Yeah. That's just my full answer. You would immediately pull away from the brand. Absolutely. They've issued an apology. Do you think that that counts for something? I'm a business owner. I run a production studio. I'm the visionary behind it. And nothing gets past me. Yeah without being checked. My business partner 
was sales for the biggest magazines in the world. Yeah. He was salesman of the year. And he says, our story is a content that drives sales. Everything is checked, rechecked, and then final checked. And then it gets to me. And then you give the final sign off. So it went, it goes through a series of channels. And I would imagine a, a, a fashion line like Balenciaga, you have many people running these campaigns. You have many people that are actively brainstorming concepts, ideas, going through, you know, you don't have just one still image. You have a series of photos that you have to actually go through. And I feel like there is a, yeah. And they checked all their boxes that they wanted to check. And they thought they hit them in a way that, you know, the people who know what they're looking for will find it. And the people that don't won't, but they got caught. Yeah. And it just shows what those people want and who they're serving. Yeah. Where I just don't need to be around Balenciaga and I don't respect it. So, you know. What types of brands do you find yourself aligning with currently? I'm about anything that's about my highest, truest self. I'm very much against living my best life because when you live your highest, truest self, that is living your best life. There's living with purpose and infrastructure. And so that's what I look for. How did you get to that place? I feel like a lot of people, you know, were raised in this consumer sort of society and everything's about sensationalism and clickbait. And so in order to find yourself in a really grounded place, how did you end up getting there? I feel like a lot of people that kind of find that journey usually have to kind of lose themselves or they have to hit some sort of rock bottom or something in their life has to kind of shake them up before they're ready to wake up. Where do you think your, you know, decision to kind of look inward and become a lot more spiritual and become a lot more connected to to a higher power came from? I started my journey listening to my grandmother's wisdom, learning the histories of our of the of the world and our nation and understanding that we have to let go of things so that we can rise and so going back to the brands and etc none of those things are what i need before i ascend there's no u-haul behind the hearse you know where do you see your life kind of going next do you do you want to continue to pursue acting? Do you want to, you know, maybe throw your hand back in the reality game? Is there a business that you're looking to kind of continue to build? Yes. And, but not, I would not call it reality because reality television is not reality. Mm. If you look up the definition of reality television, it said it is to capture, this is paraphrasing, capture and edit for entertainment sensationalization right whatever is going to get people interested and get them to tune in doesn't have to necessarily be real it allows it allows people to say you're violent mm. but for any reality star to or reality personality or however you want to label it if they're like well the world's violent then like no 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 but you're mm. really violent it's it's produced it's manufactured and that's not that. Hey, a lot of people do manufacture their life. Let's be honest, right? Um, we'll pray for them, but that's not reality. If what I would like to do is a documentary series, documenting life and presenting it in a way that's natural and it will educate. It may provoke. 
um, responses, but not reactions. Mm. There's enough of that already, you know, just going through traffic in life, you know, yeah. crossing the street. Do you feel like it's changed some of the people in your life? I believe it influenced them. In what way? To act out. Mm. This is how powerful I know that I am. And I say that with humility over hubris is that I'm so powerful that somebody will say something against me because they're either inspired by me or intimidated by me. None of those are my problem, but then they'll go to somebody else and talk about how much they don't like me. And then they're going to find somebody else. And then they're going to build a group and talk about how much they hate me. But the funny thing is, and the reality, the reality is they don't even like each other, Mm. but they all gathered to talk about me. Yeah. Now, if that isn't toxic, I don't know what is. Yeah. But here's this is what I f- would focus on in life. Let's look at the reverse. I am loved. And Zach, you're here with me because you respect me and I respect you. Yeah. And now when I leave, I'm going to talk to somebody else who I respect and love. And then I'm going to, I'll say this was a wonderful experience. Now there's a group of people who now respect you, love me. And would love to get to know you better yeah. so that you, you know, hopefully build a relationship because that's how powerful you are. People only operate from one, their own level of consciousness, but also their own level of how much they love themselves. Right. I think you lash out at people when you are, you know, there's something within yourself that you're lashing out. Like everything I believe is kind of like a mirror, um, you know, and, and what we see in other people and what, you know, how other people behave is more of a reflection of them, you know, and, and how they're feeling about themselves. It depends if there's an undercurrent of unresolved issues mm. that have not been surfaced due to oppression, due to fear, due to loyalty. And then when you're provoked, anyone and everyone is capable yeah. of breaking. But I believe once we break, that's the opportunity to repair, to innovate, to rebuild, to rise and fly. Growing up, we're raised and conditioned to believe certain things, to act a certain way, to do things that we think is going to bring us fulfillment, whether it's to get married and have kids and have the white picket fence, only to realize we're achieving these things, not because we're really pursuing any sort of you know happiness, but we're just doing it to kind of appease people around us because we think that that'll bring us that'll bring some sort of acceptance from our peers when in reality they're also just miserable going on the hamster wheel themselves and it's really just about you know I think as we become adults it's about breaking down and like you said unbecoming all of those things that we were told we were supposed to be and really getting back to to the the true nature of who we actually are we're getting back to the root and the seed yeah um I'm I love planting and working with my hands. I have a green thumb and botany, etc. There's with citrus trees, this is a known fact. If you have bad roots with the citrus tree, it doesn't matter how much retailing of the soil, right? How much nutrients or artificial nutrients you have in it or put into it, let's just say, there will be no fruits. There will be none. You need to rip that thing out and start brand new because it has bad roots. So that's what I, in, in that little analogy, just want to you know remind people is not only focus on your root, your seed, 
that goes burst into a root, but understand what is, what is your soil? How are you mending your soil? It's this compacted soil that there is no bacteria growth in there. That's going to help, you know, the calcium, magnesium, potassium, chromium, you know, get into the root and keep it flourishing and have a full cycle. You know, do you want to have a harvest? And if so, you really need to let go of these desires and understand who you're hanging out around and why, what is these influences and um, understand that there's going to be storms, that there's going to be new seasons and to be ready for that, that we, we, we cannot escape life. Life will happen yeah. that we must embrace it. We must embrace the pains of our, our roots growing. We must embrace the pains, <coughs> excuse me, of our roots hitting rocks, unforeseen obstacles. I do know this, if we move forward in life, we will get there fast. But if we go together, we're going to go further. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, life is so short. Why not share it with somebody else? Let's say like in a marriage or in a friendship, really build something that's lasting or everlasting or that constantly needs tending like the soil. The joy that it will bring you is, is exponential. But going, you know, doing everything on your own terms and your way or the highway is um, may lead you to alone, yeah, unhappy, unhealthy, and nobody and nobody and nobody wants it. And none of our elders want that for us. Yeah, yeah. I am curious why you decided to do reality, like why you went back to reality. If that was something that initially just kind of didn't feel in alignment for you, what was the pull to go back to that? Was there something you were trying to prove? Was there something that you were hoping to correct? Was there a relationship you were looking to mend or something within yourself that you were hoping to find through that experience? <coughs> well, the show, it was, um, it was shot two seasons back to back. It was a strategy. For it was you. just business strategy for me, which we did not get renewed for season four, by the way. There's no more bling. It's done. This may be the reveal of it. Nobody wants to see people attack people anymore. I, I originally got on the show and pitched the show to my mentor and for love. I loved my ex. She was my best friend and she could not, she wasn't surviving. We were selling everything just to live. And it's because Los Angeles is very expensive. Entrepreneurial yeah. living and delegation is very expensive. We had successes. So, I had an opportunity and I was already working with somebody who at that time had me in a hypnosis almost of who he was. And now I understand better as a producer myself, I'm a developer. So I didn't understand that that person produces television and the only style of television that is gossip television. So his idea is, I love creating things that are going to turn people against him. So, and I know he's not the head of the company. He may just be taking orders. So I didn't know that. So moving forward with the show concept and then seeing how it was, a lot of the footage that you saw of me, like I was saying before, massive undercurrents of betrayal, massive undercurrents of lies and deceits, telling you everything you want to hear. And then... The footage was that he was shot it on his phone. Well, why did I? Why did I go back? I I I went back for a couple things, uh, and to keep it simple, is I went yeah. back to promote what I'm now doing now to put the eyes on who I am. That's that's what it is. 
to put the eyes onto me. Yeah. If they if the world saw me one way, let's continue to 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 see what Andrew's truly about. Yeah. You know, overnight on social media, I went from maybe eighty thousand to twenty thousand overnight. Drop. Wow. And then within one year, I've never bought a bot. I've never bought followers, supporters, oh, likes. Yeah. Right. There's there's absolutely no need for that. That's the saddest thing in the world. Uh, one <laughs> of the agree. saddest things. I agree. And then it went with one year to 121 plus, all organic. And and it, it, I wanted people to again view what who I truly was. Yeah. I'm not going to let anybody write my narrative. Yeah. They already smeared my name to the best of their ability. You know, with zero Fs given. Yeah. They're like, let's just run on this. And why would why wouldn't they run on this? Yeah. If they already have an agenda based on the shows they've created, right. the genres, the gossip, the throwing, the breaking, this violence, why wouldn't I be outcasted? Just think about that. I'm a man of the cloth. Why wouldn't I? Jesus is always mocked in, in, in Hollywood. They always have some artists hanging. They, they always have horns on. They're always going to these lavish, these parties, you know, and I just feel really bad for the castmates. Truly I do because they, not all of them are bad people. I would say the majority are, are good people. They're just, uh, brought astray. Yeah. You know, they were also betrayed and they spent their money to get in front of a camera and things were promised. Mm. And then they're cut out of the whole scene. Like a dear friend of mine um, who's in the show, I don't need to name who it was, but gave them their house, $150,000, and then they cut them out of the whole episode. Another one spent over $100,000 on another one of their parties. I was in one of the scenes and they were in it for like two seconds. And that's not what they promised. Um, so again, I went back to show you can go against all the odds and still write your story. Yeah, you can be tested and and still come out not unscathed, but you can come out rebuilt, renewed and bettered. This show bettered me. I will. I will honestly say that I haven't been uh, globally smeared and before and it has made me a, a stronger warrior, you know, do you uh, so do you I am grateful for the, the battle test, I guess. I don't know. Do you think it also maybe kind of made you come face to face with maybe some of the parts, um, you know, I because what I've heard from other people that have done reality TV is they're like, sometimes it exposed me to parts of myself that I wasn't even fully aware of. And so I was able to kind of work on those parts of, of myself because I was able to then kind of see myself in a different in a different light, or maybe I saw myself getting caught up in the drama, or maybe I saw myself doing things that didn't feel, you know, in alignment with who I know I am. And so from there, I was able to kind of learn from that experience. I was already in therapy. I've been in therapy since I was a child. I grew up in a dysfunctional home, a broken home. My parents divorced when I was in kindergarten. There was always violence was a communication style. There was alcoholism, gang culture. There was drugs. Uh, I grew up in the not fully in the streets, but we grew up in poverty. We grew up on food stamps until I was mid high school, traveled to many different schools. I've been bullied my whole life. And I grew up um, to what I've been told physically attractive. So when you're in those uh, environments and you're more, uh, have more masculine slash feminine features, you're going to get picked on. And I've had, I'm really 
a calm guy. Yeah. I, I've always been, um, it takes a lot to get me going and I am in martial arts. Yeah. So discipline and honor is number one. They, they broke me though. When you film a show for three years to build the pilot and there's a lot, I mean, an undercurrent like uh, a tsunami and they have three cameras on you at all times. Anyone will break. Anyone's fallible. Yeah. I'm insufficient like everybody else. And, and they figured out out of the, you know, the giant, all the buttons, <laughs> you know, they, they found the one. Yeah. And then, then they, you know, want to make a mockery out of the whole thing. And what hurt the most, what hurt the absolute most is having somebody not protect me in, in the light. Are you, um, you referring to your girlfriend or to the producers? Anyone and everyone who knows me. Yeah. Because they allowed that mischaracterization to be run with as part of a story that was disingenuous to who I would imagine. I mean, at least just my interactions with you and my experience with you, you've always been very, you know, very down to earth, very calm, very peaceful. I mean, your energy is always very calming. I've made peace with it all yeah. and I've prayed for them all and I have forgiveness and there's, and I, and I will have mercy, but not one of those people have came to me and said, I was scared, man. I didn't, you know, I saw what happened to you and, uh, I didn't want that to happen to me. And, uh, but you know what? I'm not, I'm not a victim of it all. And I'm not yeah. a survivor. I'm a thriver. There you go. You're a warrior. I'm a, I'm a warrior. And uh, I think we all choose to be a warrior when we're knocked down or forced down and we choose to get back up. Then we choose to keep climbing. That makes you a warrior. Yeah. You know, I've been fighting my whole life and I prefer to be a lion. Do you feel like the, um, the lessons you've learned from martial arts, do you feel like they've kind of helped you build that resilience? There's so much humility into it. There's so much sportsmanship into it. I was late for about five days in a row five minutes, five minutes. And my coach came up to me at the end of the week and he says, you're doing a spectacular job. You're really there for everybody. You're, you're learning, um, keep up the stride, but you owe everybody 25 minutes. Okay. Figure out how you're going to do it. Yeah. I was like, what? So you go, no, you were late five minutes every day. I can understand once I can, you know, life happens, but it's been every day. So there's, there's 15 people here. You owe them all 25 minutes or don't come back tomorrow. And, and that's fair. Yeah. Life isn't fair, but it can, it can be when you're on, you know, that people that love each other. And I learned from that. Yeah. We learned from the unfairness. of. I life. also learned from, from the, sh the, the show. Yeah. I also feel like reality TV is entertainment, right? So we watch it the same way we would watch. Power Rangers in action. You know, we want to see the combat. We want to see the <laughs> fights in that sense. Do you feel like that? I mean, as you know, as you said, Bling probably won't come back for a season four, but do you think it's because people are getting less interested in the, in the drama and the conflict? And how do you see that genre kind of changing? How would you improve it? Well, there's a difference between scripted. Yeah. And a reality that's not reality. You know, when you're filming a reality television, they tell they tell you, come on Friday to this location. We want to film this, this, and this, and we're trying to get this, this, and this. Yeah. And then when you're there and you're around the table, restaurant, et cetera, 
they're going to into your ear, into your ear. And then the third person, no one's in my ear. What's going on? And then they go, go. And they just let, you know, they attack you. That's not healthy. So how would you change? That's not healthy for the person. That's not healthy for anybody who wants to provoke pain. Yeah. I'm now going into scripted or power Rangers. There are, a, uh, there's an act structure, right? There's a problem. There's a solution. Then there's a resolution. There is no resolution in what they're doing because the trauma that, that follows it is only affecting that person. It's like when record executives or Ari Emanuel stepped down and he was saying, yo, yeah, we do hire artists who have issues. We know that. And we know that it's affecting their culture, their health. Yeah. We know that they are taking their lives. He's like, you want to know who it's not affecting? All the executives, all the producers. But we buy nice houses, nice cars, and our kids go in private, and we fly private. So I think, I, I believe there are ulterior motives at play. And when you're inscripted, it's all right there. And things are rewritten on the day for the betterment of the show and the, and the, the cast as a whole, because that cast is going to be the brand and they're going to travel the world of the States to talk about it. Now, anybody on a reality show that's promoting it and they're really pumped about it. I'm praying for them. Yeah. They're already enough. They don't need a show to feel that they are a celebrity or, you know, they're already enough. So I'm praying for them. As and as you should, and as I'm sure they very much need. So, what's next for you? Where do you see? I mean, obviously, you said you want to get into filmmaking, maybe doing some documentaries. Is that something that you're actively building towards, or something that absolutely? You know, oh, yeah. At Night Owl Studio, we have lots of different decks and treatments with scripts available, and this is in series, uh, documentary series, home improvement, feature films. Those are all ready to go. We're shopping them out right now. They're in development. Also, I have partnered with a, a, a mentor of mine who, excuse me, wasn't a mentor for that. He's been my business partner, but a mentor subconsciously because, excuse me, I read his book during the pandemic. And this is really interesting. He has a book that's called Better Selling Through Storytelling. Better Selling Through Storytelling. My story is the content that will drive sales, right? So, when I was going through somewhat of a hard time being attacked so frequently uh, and from all angles, I went into a dark hole, not meaning dark and negative, but I went to focus and I went to break and to come out a, a transformed person. And in doing so, I read a lot. And in that book, Better Selling Through Storytelling, I was like, you know, I need to share my story, continue to write my narrative where it is concise, compelling, and engaging. Where I'm not the hero in my life, but I'm showing people how they can be the hero in their life. Like the, the audience is the hero, right? Right. Well, I ended up reaching out to that author. He's a five-time New York Times bestseller, keynote speaker, TED Talker, incredible man, keynote. And 
I said, let's start a business. And he's like, what do you want to call it? And I said, the superhero you. And he's like, I like that. Tell me more about it. Yeah. I was like, well, I did my research on you. You don't have any kids. You don't want to have kids. You're not married. And who's going to keep your legacy moving forward? My mission would be to keep your legacy because you, uh, your direct target is to corporate America as a keynote speaker. Mine is from Power Rangers. My demographic is from 12 to 35. Yeah. So all that stuff that we're already teaching, that you're already teaching, had a story. Let's remind them of who they are. Mm. And this unbecoming, right, will be this new create your own adventure. So we created a business called the Superhero U, which you go to superherou.com. There's a uh, social media that we just started and there'll be things posted here shortly. This is still only four months into the inception, but in doing so, we have partnered um, with people who've worked with Activision, Warner Brothers, professors at Stanford, uh, PhD, um, English, um, wonderful people who we are creating online modules that you take in a test and it's going to not only kind of give you your personality types, your enneagrams, uh, an animal that, you know, I wouldn't say spirit animal because it's not a spirit, but (laughs) what you uh, exude and it takes you on a quest because there's two different kinds of heroes in life. There's one that's projected into the world like Superman and he has to kind of figure out everything. And then there's another one who's an average Joe, like Bilbo Baggins, that goes on this big quest. So we're sending people on two different ways. Again, it's to create your own adventure. And along the way, you get badges and you become the superhero in your own life by basically reminding yourself of who you are, where you came from, what you've gone through and what's relevant right now and having a vision for the future. So that's what I'm focused on um, and and on top of creating compelling, educational, inspiring, delightful content for all ages. I love that. Our hope and our main intent is to honor families, to honor the individual and to keep families together. There we go. I love it. Andrew, where can people go to learn more about about Night Owl Studios, about what you're what you're building and how they can support you? I would say the easiest way, Google me. Andrew Gray, <laughs> G-R-A-Y. It's all there. Great. Yes, it's all there. Follow him on social media um, and continue to 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 spread the love. Maybe cut back on some of the drama. Start to put some some better content into your sphere. And yeah, hopefully going into this holiday season, we can all be a little more grateful, appreciative, and, you know, try to just be better in the world. Be better. And and because depression's on a rise. Yeah. You know, isolation is on a rise. Yeah. We have to get out there and live life. We cannot just exist. Yeah. We are going to run into red light. But I promise you, there are green lights as well. Let's just focus on those and be grateful for every red light that we get. You and, know, and and stop being afraid of the red lights. Like the red lights are a part of life. The failures, the struggle. Like I think so many people are afraid of the hurdles and they're afraid of the bumps and they're afraid of the conflict. But it's like a red light always turns green. Conflict will always lead to resolution as long as you continue to go through it. I think so many people get worried because they get stuck in the middle of the fog and they don't realize that as long as you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, eventually you make it through the fog. It's really, really hard. We can all take ourselves out. Yeah, I'm about to um, say goodbye here shortly. Um, I have to go to a funeral um, of a dear friend of mine and 
um, just anybody, we all can take ourselves out at any time. Life is hard. Yeah. And that's so why it's important. please seek out the professional help that you need. Yeah. If you need therapy or if you don't think you need therapy, <laughs> just go check it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't need to have all my uh, sensors go off on my, my BMW did not take it into BMW. Yeah. If I'm getting my, my tires filled up, shoot, check out it all out. Check yeah. it out. You know? Yeah. And they're like, you actually needed some fluid. We redid the brake in the back. I'm like, well, who's paying for that? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, uh, you know, <laughs> all right, take care of it. Take care. And you're going to need tires mm. in 10,000 miles. Are they expensive? Of course they are. Okay, cool. You know, so, uh, yeah, go out there, guys. Um, keep listening to, to Zach right here. But, uh, man, it's been a wonderful time. And we're going to see each other in person. We're going to yes. continue on. And, and when I get grayscale going the podcast i'd love to have you on i would love to and we'll dive into all the gray areas all right thank you so much <laughs> thank enjoy you, the rest Andrew. of your holidays too god bless you thank you you too thank you guys for listening to hashtag no filter with zach peter this was a truly unfiltered conversation with andrew gray and i was very very grateful for him and his candor and his openness and his honesty and his humility and his willingness to kind of just put himself on the table and and share. And hopefully you guys took some some good nuggets away from our conversation. Hopefully um, you go and give Andrew some love and some support. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you to Leah Quinn. Leah Quinn, um, who also was featured on Bling Empire. She is the one that introduced Andrew and I. And, you know, I got to hang out with Andrew at the launch of her Soju, which was awesome. Um, And I'm just grateful to Leah, grateful to Andrew, and grateful to everybody tuning in. We got a fun, fun episode or a fun holiday season full of some good episodes to come. So stay tuned. Give me a follow at Just Plain Zach if you want to keep up with me. Or you can keep up with the show at No Filter with Zach. It's always a good time over there. And then if you want to follow Andrew... You can follow me at Andrew Gray, at Andrew Gray. Easy. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. All right, guys. Love you, mean it. Have a wonderful weekend. I will chat with you on Thursday night for our Thursday Night Live. Airs on the podcast Friday. So, till then, have a good one. Love you, mean it. Bye.